Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tuesdays here on Murder Bucket bring you a new episode of the Cold Case Road Trip. It is a 28-episode series where you get to travel alongside me as we explore cold cases in 56 different locations. We will be going to all 50 states, D.C., and five of the inhabited territories. Tonight, we have made it to stops 15 and 16, and we'll be traveling to Nebraska and Texas. Tonight's episode is coming to you a little bit later in the evening because at the beginning of recording everything, my software decided it didn't want to recognize my microphone. I tried some troubleshooting things, got my husband involved, went to the internet, tried to download it again, uninstall, reinstall, you know, the whole nine yards. Do you know what fixed it? This little tiny button within my software that asked for me to scan my recording devices. And poof, my microphone appeared. So here we are. And we are going to jump right on into our weekend slash week recap. Saturday, my husband and I and our daughter got to go have brunch with a couple that we haven't seen in over a year, all thanks to COVID. They are significantly older than we are. They're probably in their mid to late 60s, and they've been super cautious with everything they've done over the last year. They do all of their groceries as curbside pickups. They haven't gone into a store. They don't go eat out at restaurants. When they're around family, they wear their masks, and they try and keep their social distancing in place and they don't see a lot of people but thankfully here in our area things are kind of getting a little bit better so they've gotten a little bit more comfortable with seeing people and they invited us over for brunch we got to sit down and talk face to face and see each other and tell each other how our past year has gone They got to see our daughter, which they haven't seen since she was probably about a week old. So they got to experience all the new things that she's doing. She is climbing on chairs, standing up on things, trailing all the furniture. They got to hear her make all her little baby noises and play with all of her toys. It was just wonderful. I loved it. We stayed for probably five hours or more, and it was, it just made my heart so happy. And then Saturday evening, one of my very good friends, Lindsay, who I've mentioned in the podcast before, moved into her own place. So her and I and our mutual friend, Alyssa, hung out. I made dinner, some really good homemade spaghetti. I got the recipe from 
a friend I actually met through TikTok, who now I talk to on Discord with a group of ladies. We helped her kind of rearrange her new area, put her bed together, and unpack some of her things. It was just really nice to be able to hang out with the girls. Now, my husband didn't come to hang out with Lindsay and Alyssa, obviously, because he's not one of the girls. He instead went to Pennsylvania with a handful of our friends to do what was called the Field of Screams. It is like a haunted attraction up in Pennsylvania somewhere that halfway to Halloween, they open their attraction to, you know, do the haunted house thing, all those horror-like things that, you know, those kind of people like. And they had a great time. They left here probably around four, didn't get back, I think, until midnight at least. And they had a fantastic time. Now, unfortunately, one of the people that did attend had a panic attack during the first attraction, so she didn't go through the rest of them. But she seems to be okay now. Hopefully, that experience won't deter her from anything horror, which I know she likes because she has some horror tattoos. Let's jump on over to Twitter and see how everybody's week went. Revere True Crime Podcast said that they started to plan a girl's getaway with their mom to Orange Beach for the next weekend. And then they started planning for a few days in New Orleans in June with their fiance. I'm super jealous. I would love to go to the beach right now. And I would also really love to go to New Orleans just because they have delicious food and my cousin lives there. So take me with you. Life Paranormal with V said that their arms and hands were donezo this weekend after they had a very bad flare-up of carpal tunnel. But they said they managed to get a new episode out and write their final paper for their class. Straight Up Evil podcast said that they did some gardening, started some vegetable seeds, and got to bake chocolate chip cookies with their three-year-old. And it looks like their friend and co-host Jocelyn the Brunette got married Congratulations, Jocelyn. Marriage is wonderful. And straight up evil, I cannot wait until my daughter is old enough to start baking and cooking with me. It is going to be so cute. Let's see. Jerry C. said they got to visit their dad. They got to watch their favorite team get alienated by their biggest rivals. Looks like that was the Glasgow Celtics and the Glasgow Rangers. Apparently, they drank a frankly unhealthy amount of alcohol, and it was the first time that they've gotten to see each other since their lockdown, so it was considered a fantastic weekend. Heading on over to Instagram, it looks like History at Mac got to celebrate their birthday with a D&D campaign and got to watch This is a Robbery on Netflix. Happy birthday, History at Mac. And last but not least, starting Overdrive, said that they sat for 48 hours straight, staring and admiring the new sticker on their laptop. They are pretty positive they set a new world record for sticker watching. Now, let's get into tonight's episode. Nebraska. Chance Engelbert, 27, lived in Moorcroft, Wyoming, with his wife Bailey and son Banks. They were spending the day visiting relatives in Gearing, Nebraska on July 6, 2019. That evening, 
Around 7.30, they drove to his wife's grandparents' house to pick up a few items. Chance got out of the car and walked away. Some articles state that they got into a disagreement and that's why he left, while others say that nothing happened. His wife stated in an article on NBCNews.com, when he gets mad, he'll walk to cool down, but I didn't think he'd go very far. He just kept walking until I couldn't see him anymore. I didn't think he was serious. His wife went out looking for him, but couldn't locate him. She last spoke to him around 7.45, and he told her that he was walking south. He also contacted a few of his friends, but he told them that he was walking north. The last time that anybody heard from Chance was around 8.45 that evening, and the last ping from his cell phone was off a tower on County Road 19 near the Riverview Golf Course. He turned his phone off after that. A thunderstorm swept through the area, and Bailey hoped that her husband had found shelter. Her grandfather went out later that evening to look for him, but never found him. Bailey wasn't extremely worried about him and figured he would come back later that night, but he never did. When she woke up the next morning and he still wasn't home, that's when she began to worry. Police said that the rains that evening were very heavy and cold and that they were worried that Chance might have gotten hypothermia. 18 different agencies and 147 volunteers searched over 2,400 acres but found no evidence or clues as to what happened to him. The air length logged 280 miles and the Nebraska State Patrol helicopter logged about 100. Sonar technology was also used to search 10 lakes, ponds, and rivers. Police drained the central gearing canal and did a search that turned up nothing. Dozens of potential sightings and leads were followed up on, but nothing ever came of them. Police did verify a sighting of him on a surveillance camera where he was walking alone in the Terrytown suburb at around 10 p.m. Bailey told police that Chance couldn't wait to buy their son a mini derby car because they were big participants of the demolition derby and he was often found working on his cars. His family said that it was extremely uncharacteristic for him to leave without warning. Chance's mother, Dawn, told Dateline that she feels like she's living in a nightmare and she just wants to know if her son is safe. She said, as a mom, I keep expecting him to show up in my driveway needing his mom. Chance worked in coal mines for several years before accepting a job as a welder. He was supposed to start that new job after the 4th of July holiday. According to his family, he was extremely eager to start this new job and wouldn't have just left everything. His family made a plea statement. Please call somebody. You don't have to come home. We just want to know you're safe. Our hearts ache every day, every night. His mother strongly believes that there was foul play and that someone knows something. Chief George Holthus told local news channel KNEP that if Chance did in fact run away, he wouldn't face any criminal charges. He said, there's no repercussions. If that's what happened and Chance just needed a break to decompress or whatever, there are no criminal charges. He has not committed a crime. He is an adult and he can go and do whatever. Former State Senator Lindy DeSanto created Lynn Seeks Truth Facebook page in May of 2019 
where she focuses on missing persons cases. It has over 15,000 followers. She categorizes the page as a journalism page and has implied that defendants are guilty before they have been convicted. At one point, she posted photos and identifying information of a minor who was a victim without ever explaining if a relative gave consent. Now, why am I sharing this strange, out-of-the-blue detail with you? Well, here's why. In May of 2020, a judge granted Bailey a temporary protection order against Lindy for stalking, surveilling, and trying to contact Bailey and her son. Lindy wrote on her Facebook page, I am under a court order to not speak on certain topics I have previously posted on. It's a one-year order, and I was told I'd be thrown in jail if anything further is stated or recorded. She then included a photo of herself with the phrase, hashtag silenced over her mouth. Here's the reason why there's a court order. Lindy contacted Bailey to try and get an interview regarding her husband's disappearance. Every time, Bailey declined, stating that she didn't want to do an interview with her because her family had been receiving death threats. Lindy told her that she was going to let her followers know about her decision to decline the interview. Lindy visited Bailey's home on February 9th of 2020 to try and get an interview. She posted three videos regarding this visit with one titled, Bailey is wanting me cited. Join me. Bailey called 911 and reported that she felt uncomfortable and very afraid that Lindy was filming her home. When the police arrived, Lindy said all she wanted was to talk to Bailey. The officer suggested to Lindy to leave because that would be the best way to resolve the situation. The officer stated that if she wanted to continue to make contact, he would document it and said it might begin an investigation to determine whether her actions met the definitions of criminal harassment and stalking. Bailey's lawyer sent Lindy a cease and desist letter in April of 2020. A portion of it reads, I am aware of the various stories promoted on your Facebook page and elsewhere in which you insinuate Bailey's involvement with the disappearance of Chance with absolutely no substantiation. These remarks are unfounded and slanderous. You trespassed onto Bailey's property with no purpose other than to harass her and promote yourself. A year after Chance went missing, the family was still looking for him. They stated in the StarHerald.com, but we go on and try to act like everything's good. There are so many firsts and we're trying to get through them. His mother, Dawn, does think that there is a possibility that her son left on his own. But like so many other people... She feels that this is way out of character for him. She is in disbelief that he would leave his wife, his family, and especially his son. At the beginning of the investigation, the family said that the police contacted them regularly, but after a period of time, they stopped hearing from anyone. Gearing Police Captain Jason Rogers said, When we work through investigations, we work it like it was one of our own family members who was missing. The difficulty of this case is not being able to provide answers for the family and friends. The information that we have hasn't led to be able to discover or figure out what happened to Chance. That's probably the most difficult thing, not being able to put the pieces together to figure out what happened. 
He told the family that the police department is going to keep this case open until they get answers or until they figure out what happened with Chance or to Chance. As she did last year, when her son first disappeared, Dawn continues to plea for an answer, urging anyone with information to contact local law enforcement. Chance was last seen wearing a short sleeve button-down Wrangler shirt, blue Wrangler jeans, a belt with the NRCA buckle, roper boots, and black and white trucker hat. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Chance, you are encouraged to contact the Scotts Bluff or Gearing Police Department. I'm going to take a quick break so that you can check out this promo from my friends Leanne and Alana at the Booze and Ghouls podcast. Hey, Leanne. Hey, Alana. Why should the people listen to Booze and Ghouls? Well, I don't know, maybe because they want to be entertained and informed at the same time. And also, would you say that it's funny? Hilarious. He's also not a fan of men and will try to scare them off. <laughs> well, listen, I've scared off a man or doing my day too. <laughs> He's still trying to run his ghost brothel. I love it. Check out Booze and Ghouls. A paranormal, true crime, and conspiracy podcast. New episodes every Friday. We're back with our second stop on tonight's episode. Texas. Michael Adams completed a shift at the M System food store in Abilene, Texas, on June 8, 1987, where he was a clerk. He drove his red Datsun 280ZX to his family home on Peach Street, where his sister states she saw him around 11.30. He parked his vehicle and stood next to a dark-colored two-door car that is believed to be between a 1973 and a 1978 Monte Carlo, Oldsmobile Cutlass, or an Oldsmobile Tornado. The vehicle was idling and Adam leaned in to talk to the occupants. According to his sister, he didn't appear apprehensive. She then assumed that he went to bed. The following morning, Adam's bed didn't appear to have been slept in and he was missing. His wallet was on his bedroom floor and his car was parked in the driveway. There were two people Adam knew who owned vehicles that matched the description from the night before. His father, Howard, reported him missing to the Abilene Police Department. Two nights before his disappearance, he was working a shift at M Systems and witnessed someone he was unfamiliar with taking supplies from the back room. Michael thought that this was odd because he was the only one that evening that had keys and there didn't appear to be any signs of a break-in. His supervisor told police that he seemed extremely anxious that evening, and when he left that night, he took a baseball bat with him to his car. His supervisor never questioned him about it because she didn't want to upset him. When he worked his final shift on June 8th, he told his manager Steve Turner what he had witnessed. These two didn't get along. Michael was in the process of reporting Steve to the company's head office for treating the staff badly and causing low morale. Steve apparently got angry with Michael when he told him about the suspicious activities the other night. Michael was told that he should have never been back there as his job was out front and completely ignored his claims. 
Some believe that this interaction between Steve and Michael was the cause of his disappearance. An article written on Reddit.com asked the question, did Michael see something he wasn't supposed to? In that same article, it states that a co-worker of Michael's, John Bowles, was also there that evening. He supposedly moved shortly after Michael disappeared. The Abilene Police Department investigated Michael's whereabouts by questioning some of his colleagues at M-System. Several of them stated that they witnessed him being on edge for a few days leading up to his disappearance. The police conducted polygraph tests on a few select individuals. Some of them came back as past, and some of them came back as inconclusive. Michael graduated from Cooper High School five months early. While there, he was involved in the marching band as a drummer. His family described him as a talented artist who enjoyed playing golf and tennis. He was supposed to move to Lubbock, Texas to start classes at Texas Tech University, where he was planning on majoring in architecture. He was extremely close to his family. This disappearance is uncharacteristic of him because his family states that he wouldn't leave without warning. Several theories and rumors stuck around for a few years after his disappearance. At one time, people suspected that he was involved with drugs, except he promoted himself as anti-drug and was even called a narc by peers at his school. One of the reasons for this rumor was shortly after he graduated, there was a large drug bust at the school and several classmates believed he was the one who told authorities. The Abilene police clearly state that they never suspected this to be drug-related. Another rumor was that Michael was killed and his body was dumped at Lake Fort Phantom Dam, roughly 30 miles from his home. This came after an anonymous call to the police department. It was checked out, but no evidence was found. Michael's family tried to get his case featured on the Unresolved Mysteries television series, but were unsuccessful. In 1991, his case was featured on a series called Missing Reward. In the episode of Missing Reward, it states that Michael would go on patrols with a security guard from the store, but I wasn't able to find any other information to back this. There used to be a website called findmikeadams.com that looks like it was set up by his family. It has since been taken down and is now located on web.archive.org. There is a note at the bottom of the website that says, A note to interested parties. He was with you in the M-System parking lot that night waiting for Mike to exit the store. And then he later drowned. No, that isn't suspicious at all. This was in reference to a guy named Abel Gonzalez, who was theorized to have been at the store on Michael's last shift. In 1996, he was supposed to speak to a private investigator regarding the disappearance, but drowned while out tubing on the Salt River. On crimeblogger1983.blogspot.com, the author has evidence that someone named Abel Gonzalez received a DUI in 2007. It's weird that these two people had the exact same birthday and have both lived in Abilene at the same time in their lives. Could this be a case of stolen identity? Michael's family declared him legally dead in 1994. 
In a news segment on KTXS in 2009, Michael's father, Howard, believed his son had been attacked to teach him a lesson and that things got out of hand and he was killed on accident. He told reporters that he had a dream several months after his son disappeared that in the dream, his son said, help me, find me. A Facebook group was created by crime blogger 1983 in January of 2018, and the last post was made on April 1st, 2020. It's linked to a YouTube video from Missing Persons Cases with Nikki. There have been no other updates regarding Michael's disappearance. His mother, Barbara, passed away in 2016 with no closure as to what happened to her son in 1987. Michael was last seen wearing a long-sleeved dress shirt, black pants, black socks, and black shoes. He was six feet tall and weighed roughly 145 to 155 pounds. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Michael Adams, you are encouraged to contact the Abilene Police Department. Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at The Murder Bucket, on Facebook at Bucket Murd, and on Instagram at Murd Bucket.